didn't take her husband's name when she married. Do you always give your real name, social media, or at coffee shops? Do you complain when people misspell your name or mispronounce your name? When we laugh about a child who prayed to God called Harold, you know, Harold be your name. But what does it mean to hallow God's name? The third commandment is you shall not take the name of Yahweh your God in vain, for Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Welcome to this podcast from Two Ways Ministries. I'm Philip Jensen. That's my name. It's not what I am, it's who I am. What I am is a man. Who I am, why, I'm Philip Jensen, that's who I am. But what's in a name? Ooh, that's a Shakespearean question, isn't it? <laughs> Remember, Juliet asks that. Uh, that which we call a rose by any other name would smell as sweet, she would say. What, what's difference? What's the name matter? Well, they do matter though, don't they? Does your name matter to you? I mean, our parents named us because of, well, why? Was it a desire for us? I mean, they named me Philip, lover of horses. I don't. And my interaction with horses demonstrates by and large that they're not that keen on me either. So why do they call me Philip? Because they hoped I would love horses? No. No, they did it to one of my uncle, my uncle Philip, my mother's brother, who at the time of my birth was at war. And, and so I presume out of their love and concern for my uncle, they named their last little child because I'm a last child with all its difficulties and oppressions and hardships that we last children have. This is said for the sake of last children who know we're spoiled. They, they named their last child Philip. But once you get a name, you get attached to it, don't you? Uh, psychologically attached to it, sensitive to it. It's, it's a word that you can hear at the lowest level of whispers. It's a word that somehow strangely matters more than it should. You don't like jokes about your name. <laughs> of course you don't, because you've heard every one, haven't you? As soon as you hear a name that you know that there's a joke about, don't say it to the person, because whatever joke you've ever thought of, they've heard it already. That's why spelling your name kind of matters in some fashion, doesn't it? I've got a two L's in my Philip. Why does it matter? Well, our name, it speaks of all kinds of things. It speaks of our family. My name's Jensen. I am Arthur and Dorothy Jensen's son. It speaks of my identity because my identity is caught up with my family. That's who I am. It's not caught up really with my psychological state it's caught up with my family that's where I fit into humanity and therefore it's caught up with the wider things my ethnicity and well it can even cause in my religion because it's a Christian name 
it's Christian by its characteristic. You know, it's not the name that someone would be used if they are Buddhist particularly, but it is a name that would be used if you come from a Christian background. But it's more than that. I was given my name at my baptism. I've even had baptisms of people who have changed their name for to become a Christian name, to take on a new name in their baptism as they take on a new identity in Christ Jesus. They have got rid of their previous name, especially a name that had religious connotations of a different kind, a different character, and they've taken on a Christian name. Old-fashioned forms didn't ask for family name and other name. They actually asked for family name and Christian name which was all right when 95% of the population professed to be Christian, but it was always a little hard for the minority groups to be able to say my Christian name when they really meant it was my Jewish name or my Muslim name. Or So what's in a name? Or what's in God's name? Well, his name is Yahweh. At least that's the best we can do with it, or I could do with it. It's put in the Bible generally as Lord, uppercase to distinguish it from the word master. You, you see it in Psalm 110, verse 1. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until your enemies are your footstool. The Hebrew is really saying, Yahweh says to my master, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. It's an important little verse. Jesus quotes it in uh, Mark chapter 12 to demonstrate that David's son was somehow greater than David. But more of that another day. What's a name? Well, it's got to do with reputation. Sometimes you see names don't fit. And people give you a nickname. School, often people have nicknames, because it captures you better than the name that you, your formal name. Sometimes nicknames, well, I wonder about that bloke in the Bible. You ever thought about Nabal, Abigail's husband? The name Nabal means fool. It's pretty hard to imagine that his parents called him Nabal. More likely that that's what he got to be known as, because, well, frankly, he was one. But Yahweh, what does... Yahweh's name mean? It really has got to do with the verb to be in Hebrew. It's got to do with I am. I am who I am, he said to Moses at the, at the burning bush. And I will be who I will be. Because the true understanding of him, it's not a nickname. It's not that Moses can tell us what God's name is. God tells us what God's name is. Because God... God decides who he is and what he will be like. He is the determiner of God. Nobody else can be. Later on, he also reveals himself as, as being loving and faithful, of being gracious and, and, and truthful, of being merciful and trustworthy. These characteristics go with the name Yahweh. Because the reputation you have is something that, with God's case, is revealed. I mean, whenever you hear a name, it reveals you something about the person, doesn't it? Uh, my name is Jensen. 
Well, if you know very much about language and names, etc., you'd know that's a Danish way of saying John's son. Uh, if it's spelt with the two E's, it's Danish. Spelling it other ways would tell you otherwise. And so you know that somewhere in his ancestry, on his father's line, uh, is, is Denmark. I've always explained that's, of course, where the very rugged good looks come from. But other people have said ruder things than that, so I'll move on. But you get another name, Abdul Malik. Well, you know he's Middle Eastern. Especially if you use a phrase like Middle Eastern, we know that you are an Anglo-Saxon. Because, actually, there is no Middle East. It's Southwest Asia. The Middle East is only the Middle East if you're in England and think that the Orient is way out there in the Far East. See, the language we use reveals things about us, and the language of names reveals things. Zhang Wei. <laughs> you know that's going to be East Asia. And so names reveal reputation. If you know the person, you know the reputation of the person, you kind of even know the person before you've ever met them. The very name itself indicates things about them. And as we hear our name, it speaks of ourselves. I read a report once which said, I don't know if this one's true, I may say, but I read a report once that said that when people, instead of having numbers on their number plates in their cars, had their name on their number plates, they drove more carefully. And I can believe that because I know who the person is when I see their name. I don't know who they are when they just see a number. It's like the revelation at a coffee shop. You see, I'm sufficiently old-fashioned not to really want to be telling people what my name is just because they're serving me a cup of coffee. I'd rather they called out my number as a customer rather than my name. But the coffee shops want to be friendly, want to get to know you, want to be a place of warm happiness. And so they ask you your name so that they can call your name out. Well, I don't want my name called out. I don't want it revealed who I am. So I think up names that, well, they won't call. So I say to them, well, have you ever heard of Adolf Hitler? And they say, yes. I say, well, put that down. They never call out Adolf Hitler. They always say, oh, sir, your coffee's ready now, which suits me fine because I don't want my name broadcast everywhere. Um, sometimes I change it. Sometimes I go for Joseph Stalin. And I've even tried Mao Zedong, but they generally think that that's not my name. So... You, reveal, you see, part of the revelation is restriction, is what we call privacy. <laughs> the level of friendship, the level of openness, the level of public disclosure we want to make is ours to decide, isn't it? Sometimes when you want to keep people at an arm's distance, you introduce yourself as Mr or or whatever it might be. And so I'm not quite sure whether I want to deal with this person, then I'm not Philip, I'm Mr Jensen. That lets them know 
the nature of our relationship is formal, business-like. Well, God chose to reveal his name personally. He lets people into relationship with him, but he chooses to reveal his name only to Israel. Israel had the job of revealing his name and his reputation to the rest of the world by the way in which they lived as his people. But God does not tell all people his name. He tells them his name through the ways Israel reflects the character and mind of God by their lifestyle. At a different election on another occasion, I remember seeing my local member coming from a polling booth and walking squiffly on to the next one. I mean, I knew his name. He was a famous man. So I approached him to have a word with him. And as I approached him, he said, Hello, Philip, how are you? Ugh, my cover was blown. I thought I'd be able to say something anonymously to him as to what he should be doing in Parliament. But somehow, he really was a very good politician. He even could remember my name. For you see, always in this restriction, reputation, revelation, it's all about relationships, isn't it? Names have got to do with relationships. When you're introduced to someone, you give names. Hello, Mary. This is Bill. And if you want people to remember you, you want them to remember your name, don't you? If they remember your name, you somehow think they've remembered you. If they forget your name, even though they might remember everything else there is to know about you, you still feel like they don't really know you. Now, some relations and relationships are much more permanent pervasive of all of life, much more profound than other relationships. Family is the most profound and permanent and pervasive of all relationships. Now, families share names. You take on your parents' name and they give you your given name as well because your name and your family has to do with your identity of who I am. Israel was to be Yahweh's people, to take Yahweh's name as their name. They were to know God and obey him as their God. They were not to have any other gods. That's the first commandment. They're not to misrepresent him. That's the second commandment. And they weren't to misuse his name. They were to have his name and to live by his name. And they were not to take it In vain, that's the third commandment. The commandment is not to take the name of Yahweh, your God, in vain. But it is to take the name of Yahweh as their God. This nation, for generations to come, is to be known as Yahweh's nation. It's to be known by his name. Here's part of this dilemma about marriage and family names. It's a free country here in Australia. You can call yourself whatever you want. You can take your wife's name. You can take your husband's name. You can 
keep separate names. You can even make up a new name if you want to. But what's the nature of marriage? It has to do with family. And it has to do with more than the spouse, the husband and the wife. It's family. And family is intergenerational relationships. Marriage and family is about procreation. It's about identity found in relationships. It's not just of spouses, but also of parents and children, of siblings, of grandparents, of uncles and aunts. We're all caught together up in this wider network of family life through marriage. And so that is why the issue comes as to whether a wife should take the husband's name, which has been the tradition of Western civilization, whether that is the pattern that you wish to, to continue and to, uh, to adopt for yourselves. But behind the question is a much bigger question. What does marriage mean to you? What does family life mean to you? For it's, well, it's about names. Israel was to take on God's name as God's bride. They were not to take it on in vain. But, but how, how were they to take it in vain? What would it mean to take God's name in vain? Let me give you three ways. Firstly, for them, it would be to trivialise it, yeah, to make fun of it, to to use it as a swear word. <laughs> you know, it's that modern phraseology people have. Oh, my God. You know, the people who use it, I've noticed, by and large, don't actually have God as God. The people I know who worship God as God don't use that silly phrase. Or they, they use the name of Jesus. You know, Jesus. Oh, oh, Jesus Christ, what are you doing? It's always offensive to Christians. And Christians don't talk that way. But we never get a trigger warning from people, and the media is never short of being able to do it. You don't hear them doing it with other names like Buddha or Muhammad, but they will do it with Jesus because it doesn't matter. In one sense, trivialising the name of God is a trivial way of taking God's name in vain. It's offensive nonetheless. A second way of taking God's name in vain is by oaths. This is a formal way of doing it. You, you swear, for example, in court to tell the whole truth. By God you swear, by which you mean by the God who will punish me if I'm telling a lie, by the God who knows in secret what I'm really saying. That, that's what's being meant when you've got to swear on the Bible, when you take an oath by the name of God. Uh, Jesus said, of course, in the Sermon on the Mount, that we should just let our yes be yes and our no be no. We don't need to actually swear anything because we should be people of truth. And that's true. We don't need to swear by any higher authority. But yet, it's not wrong to swear, um, especially if others require it of us because they don't trust us. Well, then we can swear by God's name. But hey... Just as you shouldn't be telling lies, you shouldn't be swearing by God's name if you're not telling the truth. 
The third way of taking God's name in vain is the really important one. It's the big one. It's called profanity. It's failing to bring God's name into good repute. Rather, it's to bring God's name into disrepute. It's to bring shame upon God. They profaned the name of God, bringing shame upon his name, defiling it by their behaviour in, in the eyes of the nations around about them. Yahweh's name was scorned. Instead of living as his people his way and having all the world coming to Jerusalem to see the house of God, coming to Jerusalem to acknowledge that these were a people of God who had a God close to them like nobody else, who had a law greater than nobody else. No, instead of living the way God would like his name to be revealed in the world, they lived under his name just like the pagans around them, following and aping the immorality and degeneracy of the Canaanite Baal worshippers. Their Godless idolatry and adultery was such that God was brought into disrepute. They profaned the name of God. There's that terrible phrase that you may have heard said somewhere, if you're a Christian, when someone says to you, and you're supposed to be the Christian. Oh, it's like a knife, isn't it? You profess Christ, but you're caught living in a way inconsistent with Christ. It's like any poor politician who ever claims to be Christian, genuinely meaning it. As soon as that happens, you know that from there on in, the secularists are going to criticise him. Anybody who's on a different political spectrum will criticise him on the basis of whether his policies actually fit with what they think the Bible says. You know, he claims to be a Christian, but look how he's treating the people. And it's also, of course, terrible when church leaders fail by falling into some immorality, isn't it? Because amongst other things, it brings disgrace upon the name of Jesus. Because it brings joy into the hearts of the enemies of the gospel. Well, Israel profaned the name of Yahweh by their idolatry and their immorality. And that was taking God's name in vain. But notice the second half of the commandment. For Yahweh will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So God punished Israel, not just for their idolatry and immorality, but also because they, they took his name, Yahweh, in vain. They were Yahweh's people, who were to show the world what Yahweh was alike and how great Yahweh was, but they showed that Yahweh didn't mean much to them, wasn't much different to the Baals. Their lives showed that they had taken Yahweh's name in vain, and so God punished them with the Babylonian captivity, which further profaned his name, because now people would say, well, that Yahweh is not much of a god. He can't even look after his own people. Look, He's the God of slaves. He's not much. Which is why he promises to hallow his name 
by bringing them back. It's in Ezekiel 36. The reason God decides to bring the people back out of Babylon and to re-establish them as his people in his land is that he wants his name to be hallowed, to be made holy once more. There's only one God and creator of the world and his name is as unique as he is. In Isaiah 45 we read, By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in Yahweh it shall be said of me, a righteousness and strength To him shall come and be ashamed all who are incensed against him. In Yahweh all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. When we come to the New Testament, of course, we read the Christian claim, which if true, makes Jesus God. And if it's untrue, makes Christianity blasphemy. For the apostle said, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's the name Jesus. Joel in chapter 2 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, will be saved. But in the New Testament, in Romans 10, that verse, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, is talking about Jesus. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. (laughs) For Isaiah finds its fulfilment in Jesus. You remember that wonderful passage in Philippians 2? That at the name of Jesus... Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord, is Yahweh, to the glory of God the Father. What's in a name? Everything, if the name is Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for sending your Son to this world. We thank you that in Jesus... Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is indeed Lord. To your praise and glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this new podcast from Philip Jensen and Two Ways Ministries. Philip will be bringing to you new regular episodes on a variety of topics and current issues. Don't forget to subscribe to keep up with his latest.